Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, uh, week 10, a little bit rocky. Week 11, got back on track for a lot of the uh, quote-unquote contending teams. The Eagles, the Ravens, the Bills, the Bengals, the Chiefs. All got wins, some stronger than others, but they all survived week 11 to move on to Thanksgiving week. Uh, hell of a bounce back week for a lot of the uh, upper echelon of the NFL. Uh, but most importantly, week 11 is a reckoning for me personally because I am a man of my word. And on our Thursday stream, roughly four or five days ago uh, during the Packers Titans game, which we will kind of talk about even more in depth. Uh, I was paid not once, not twice, not thrice, but four times to do a shot of absinthe on this week's podcast. So I'm not going to do them back to back because <laughs> I, I really enjoy living. Yeah, But I will start this week's show with my first of four absinthe shots. Uh, this is Oregon Spirit, by the way. It is what, like 100 25 25 or what the irish would call 62 and a half horsepower i ended up with the same one and it is um the acronym is nfa not futzing around yeah so uh to you our lovely bootleg audience for making me do horrific things to my body on a monday at 10 30 in the morning yeah i'll be joining in later in the show but <coughs> <laughs> that's why i'm not kicking off the show that way <laughs> in case you were wondering oh that's death yeah it's oh. rugged we'll have some fun with that <sighs> later on but jay for now just run the logo please get into the show we're going to start off with news and notes we don't really have any news and notes other than just the fact that i was on the road and filming all day yesterday i went up to chiefs chargers saw that sunday night game live which was an incredible sunday game by the way that we are going to talk about in depth so as a result i didn't get to watch too many games i was able to do a lot of film study when i got home and then obviously this morning catching up on stuff so we're doing a little bit of a modified format because um, i didn't get to see every game we're doing a three up a two down and a one fun instead of a three, three, three. So we're cutting it down a little bit because uh, we have a policy here that we don't talk in depth about games that we don't watch. So we're maintaining that uh, sole focus of not blowing smoke up your ass. So we're going to start off with three fun, then two down or no three up <laughs> two down <laughs> one fun. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. I'm one for the absinthe. It's it. I can already feel it. It's oh a, it's yeah. Did show. you do the carb loading? Oh, I had like double breakfast because I was like, I I need as many bagels in me as possible to survive. Strong this. work. So strong work. 
But we're going to start off the show uh, by going over <laughs> the game where we were paid to do this, which was our Thursday stream last Thursday, Titans-Packers. Now that we've had a chance to kind of go back and look at the film and kind of evaluate and, and get a new perspective on what happened. And also, going forward, what this means for the Titans and the Packers for the rest of the year. You know, honestly... <sighs> The Packers, when I when I watched that game on film, I was like, this this team is not as bad as their record. They just didn't figure out what they are soon enough in the season. Um, they are a little bit of a one-dimensional team, but I do think that, hell, if Christian Watson doesn't drop that first throw of the year, that first bomb and lose trust from Aaron for like the first five weeks, and you know, obviously he had the injuries too, but if he doesn't drop that bomb and Aaron kind of like trusts him a little bit earlier in the year, who knows where this Packers team is? Like he obviously is a difference maker for that passing game. And when you're going up against a D line, like the Titans that can really stop the run and limit Aaron Jones, you need a guy like Christian Watson that can kind of take over a game like what happened against Dallas. So I, I almost feel like it's a little, uh, this term might, might not be correct for it, but it's the closest one I can think of, like too little, too late. Like, would they have been a great team otherwise? Maybe, but they definitely would not have been wallowing in misery for a large portion of the middle of the season if they got Christian Watson more involved from the very beginning or at least committed to getting through the drops as growing pains earlier. Um, because again, this, this is the same team that beat the Cowboys who just obliterated the Vikings. Like they have that in them. They just didn't get to it quick enough. And then on the other side, the Titans, I mean, God, how can you not look at Vrabel as a top five coach in the NFL, all of their injuries, you know, limitations on offense, you know, whether you want to look at the receiving core, like there was a while (laughs) where we're like, God, they miss AJ Brown, but uh, you know, eventually Traylon Burks kind of had his breakout game, but again, took a while to get there. You know, limitations at the quarterback position when Tannehill was out, like Malik Willis clearly wasn't ready. You know, obviously all the injuries on defense, and yet they're still ripping off wins when there's so many excuses for them to not win ball games, like short week on the road, in the snow, still winning. And I think that Mike Vrabel is an absolutely elite NFL coach. Because I think a lesser coach would have folded given their circumstances this year and some of the durability concerns they've had. And yet they're probably going to be like a a two or a three seed when all is said and done. And they're going to be the type of two or three seed that nobody wants to play because they got a great defensive line. They can run the ball. And if Traylon Burks keeps, keeps doing some of the things we saw him do on Thursday, that big playability, that kind of replaces the dynamism that they lost with A.J. Brown, which reared its ugly head a few weeks ago. So, like, this is a team that has not even been fully operational for the entire season, and they're still well-positioned for the playoffs. Once they actually get healthy again, who knows how far they could go. But, you know, that, that's kind of my general takeaway from this game is a little too late, a little too little too late for the Packers, and the Titans are just a, a phenomenally solid organization from top to bottom. I think Vrabel likes it this way. I really do. Hard? I think he, difficult? Yeah. I think he <laughs> likes taking a group of football players that he believes in, all of them, top to bottom, not just the ones in the first string, and saying, if you do it my way, if you play together, 
if you play physical, we're going to win. Like, we're not going to win them all, but we're going to win enough. And they just keep doing that. This is not the first year he's done it. This is the first year with this particular construction because each year is a different year in the NFL. Teams have so much turnover in the offseason that you do really start fresh each year. But Vrabel approaches it in the same way. And even without those things, their defensive line is leading them. Packers, a very good rushing team. They end up with like 56 rushing yards Mm -hmm. as a team. You know, Aaron Jones, who we think is a superstar, has 40. Dylan, 13. Christian Watson for three on that one sweep. That's you can make a team force a team out of the thing that they do well at home. Like you said, for the Titans, it's on the road. They go in and pull that off. That sets a tone. They play extremely physical. They've been showing up on shot of the week all year. And then they get, strangely enough, one week later, their big rookie wide receiver breakout that they'd been waiting for because moving on from A.J. Brown, they really expected things from Traylon Burks. He waited until a week after Christian Watson had hit his explosion to have, you know, Burks' own explosion, 7 for 111, 15.9 per. Didn't get in the end zone, but didn't matter. Really was a spark for them in the exact same way. It was like a mirror image a week later. So Titans, I think Vrabel just thinks this is the plan. He's seen it work enough. He has them believing they are playing. They, you know, they didn't throw in the towel and say, well, no more A.J. Brown, I guess we're done, or Traylon Burks hasn't popped off yet, I guess we're done. They just keep doing it, keep rolling off wins, and they are one of those teams. They feel a little bit like Kansas City to me in that way, not in the way that their offense is built at all, but really just until further notice, the Titans are going to own this division because Rabel's there and he's going to do this and it works. And Mm -hmm. it's the same way with Kansas City. It's like Andy Reid's there, and they do it their way, and it works. And until further notice or Patrick Mahomes ascends to the next plane of existence, they got it. It's theirs. They own it. I would say Vrabel, if he's not your pick for coach of the year, he better at least be in your top three at this point. Because, I mean, for God's sake, they they took Kansas City to overtime (laughs) with like pretty much no passing game to speak of. And that was just purely with a couple explosives from Derrick Henry, some creative play calling in the red zone. They really love their trick plays, just like Kansas City. Uh, and, and their defense is utterly insane. They had a great game plan against Kansas City, one that very few teams have been able to pull off. Like, I don't know. They're, Mike Mike Brable, to me, will they end up being the best team? No. But in terms of doing more with less, it's hard to argue that Mike Rabel has not done the most with the least either him or Brian Dable I would say are the the two that fit in that category not that the Titans roster isn't talented but they've just been so hurt so hurt all year long and they're still winning games Um, in terms of the prize pick slip though I did have a lot of success there I hit a four out of five and a five out of six so I came up uh, plus eighty dollars on the evening Uh, you can see on my original uh, slip when I did the five pick I did uh, Aaron Rodgers over one and a half passing TDs at home on Thursday, snow falling. I felt like, yeah, that that feels like an Aaron Rodgers decent kind of night. And it was. Aaron Rodgers was not bad. He was not the problem in this game. So he got me there. Uh, Aaron Jones, I thought because of the Titans defensive structure in terms of how much quarters they play, it would invite 
a lot of gives to Aaron Jones, and I I came about two carries short there. I needed him to get to 14. He had 12. So, I, you know, maybe if they didn't fall so far behind, I could have got a couple extra there and hit five out of five and won like 500 bucks on this slip. So I think the, the thinking was sound. It just fell a couple carries short. Uh, Alan Lazard hit my over begrudgingly. <laughs> There's a couple times where I was like, Alan, you really don't want to get targeted ever again because he had the drops and the missed routes and everything like that. He had a really rough night, but he still hit the over on yardage. His over-under was 48 and a half. Uh, I took the under on Christian Watson targets. Not that I didn't think he wouldn't have a productive night, but I felt like it was more going to be, you know, throw a couple bombs here and there and kind of leave the possession stuff to everybody else. That ended up being proven true. I had under six and a half targets. He had six. And then I had Derrick Henry over uh, one half touchdown. So basically I had him scoring a rushing touchdown because what primetime game would it be with the Titans without Derrick Henry scoring? So uh, hit four out of five on that, narrowly missed five out of five, and what would have been in total between my two slips a $700 payout. I just needed a couple extra carries, but I still feel pretty good about it. And then we got a whole Thanksgiving slate of slips this Thanksgiving as well. So I'm going to be, you know, kind of tweeting out my methodologies for those. We don't have a stream this Thursday, but we we will be filling out slips. And if you also want to fill out slips, by the way, you can get a free Thanksgiving square for all the Thanksgiving games if you want to fill out just a Thursday slip. Uh, Justin Jefferson's receiving yard, they set it at over under half a yard. So as long as he gets one yard, which will probably be on like the first play of the game because he's Justin Jefferson, you get a free square there. And then obviously you still get the deposit match. Whatever deposit you make up to $100, they will match your deposit. So you get a whole bunch of free money to play with on the platform as well. So get your free Justin Jefferson square, get your deposit match, go have yourself a, uh, a very nice Thanksgiving this Thursday. Uh, EJ, what say yeah. you? It'll let you concentrate on football. Even if you don't want to be with whatever section of the family you're with, you can be counting on the de- <laughs> counting on the games, looking to see if you're polishing off the lines. Alan Lazard kept you waiting until late in the game. Keeps it a little bit interesting down the stretch when guys are doing that, but uh, we also filled out their new six-pick flex slip, which pays up to 25 times on Thursday. That was our debut with that, and you came real close to hitting that one as well. So lots of options. Certainly helps the show. Sign up for prize pick. Get your money matched up to 100 bucks. Get the free Justin Jefferson square because there's probably not a freer square in the NFL right now than <laughs> Justin Jefferson getting over a yard of receiving. So he's all good there. Happy to have prize picks on as a sponsor. Happy to have you all enjoying it. And you'll see our slips for these Thursday games coming out on social media. Now they do play against the Patriots, by the way, which the Vikings do, which lead in man coverage this year. So if there's one guy you don't want to leave one-on-one in man, it's probably Jefferson. Just saying. Uh, All right. Why don't we finally get up to three up? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Three up. Oh, sell the sizzle, man. (laughs) Sell the sizzle. Three up. Chargers Chiefs. EJ, I'm going to let you talk first. Yeah, it's weird that that's going to happen, but I'm happy to happy to hold it up so chiefs chargers you got to go to this game last night check it out you also got to go to the tailgate beforehand we'll talk about that a little bit later but 
It's funny, during the afternoon slate yesterday, uh, the Seahawkers pod guys invited me on for a little um, Let It Ride Curse live stream. Seahawks are on a bye this week, so they were watching the uh, Raiders-Broncos game, trying to encourage the curse uh, for the Russell Wilson trade to continue itself. And during that live stream, I mentioned the fact, because Devontae Adams gets free at the end of that game, and they're like, how do you not cover Devontae Adams? I said, there's one guy like that in the AFC West for me, and it's Travis Kelsey. Every time the Chiefs need something, whether it's a key third down conversion, it's a touchdown late, it's always Travis Kelsey, and he's always open. And I'm like, how do you not cover Travis Kelsey? Just like they were saying, how do you not cover Devontae Adams? Then... (laughs) Around comes the Sunday night game. Who wins the game for the Chiefs? Travis Kelsey. He's basically Thanos on a football field. Thanos has that line in the movie. He says, dread it, run from it, destiny arrives all the same. And I feel like Travis Kelsey is that destiny. You can try and cover him with a linebacker or a corner or even a super safety like Derwin James. It doesn't matter. They tried all of those things last night. He still got his receptions. He still got the game-winning TD. He's going to get those game-changing plays and TDs, even though everybody knows it's coming. And that is a testament to, obviously, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid's design. It's also a huge testament to Travis Kelsey being one of the very best tight ends to ever play professional football because everybody knows it's coming, and he can still get it done. He is inevitable. He was inevitable last night. Um, He is a huge reason why Patrick Mahomes, and get this, this one kills me, has not lost Mm -hmm. a divisional road game ever. 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 Like, not not in a year, not, not in two years. From the first one he ever started, he's never lost an AFC West road game. Mm -hmm. That's staggering he's and we're on season six of this by the way yeah he's 14 <laughs> and 0 right and last night i think makes 15 or maybe uh, it's no 14. last last, last night was 14 last night's 14 the denver won his rookie year his first start was right. also on the road in denver and he still won that game too so it's this is, so every time somebody says oh this guy's like mahomes especially in the upcoming draft cycle put out a tweet yesterday said in the upcoming draft cycle spare me don't ever say might be the next Mahomes ain't gonna happen like 14 and 0 has never lost a divisional road game so part of that success definitely comes from Travis Kelsey and his greatness and his ability to get open no matter what the other team does there's very few quarterbacks uh, that have come out since Mahomes has been in the league that I felt comfortable comparing to Mahomes because it's not like there's there's arm talent comparisons like Caleb Williams um, at USC is a great arm talent and kind of like arm slot comparison in terms of some of the stuff you can do that way like there's physical comparisons and then there's the stuff that actually makes Mahomes Mahomes which is like the off schedule shit the serial killer stuff one of the only ones I've ever felt comfortable comparing to Mahomes as a prospect was Joe Burrow when Joe Burrow was coming out of LSU I made a video that year it's like Burrow's the next Mahomes and it's not it's not an arm talent thing it's not a a physical makeup thing it's the fact that like he will rip your heart out it doesn't matter he will rip your heart out that's what they do that's what these types of quarterbacks do and Mahomes I mean that, that was the first time I've ever seen him with my own eyes and it just felt inevitable 
And like that stadium was loud. Like obviously there's a lot of Chiefs fans there because there's always Chiefs fans everywhere. They're massive fan base. But like there's a lot of Chargers fans there too, and they were like, jazzed up and excited because Chiefs Chargers is always a great game. Like there was a shitload of Chargers fans there, and they were loud. And it just felt like there was nothing anybody could do about it. It felt like that was the script, and everybody was following the script. Like, oh, Mahomes going to get the ball back down late, you know, two minutes to go, and then it's going to be him and Kelsey just magically scoring. And I, I, I love watching Chiefs Chargers because it always ends up like that. But if I was a Chargers fan at this point, I would have Stockholm Syndrome because I'm like, I don't know what to do against this guy. It doesn't matter what we do against this guy. He's going to beat us every time, and it's – it's remarkable, it's frightening, it's exciting, and I can't wait to go again next year. I know exactly what that's like. You? Oh, because mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers, yeah, Chicago. You just know it's coming. Yeah. You know it's coming, and it feels the same way to me when I watch those games. Obviously, I have less of an emotional stake, but you don't ever think that Mahomes is going to lose that game. I was actually surprised to see it tied late in the game. Or, you know, close, late in the game. I was like, really? And I was like, eh, doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> I, I could not watch this. I, I'd come back tomorrow and I wouldn't be at all surprised to see the result, which is the result we got. It does feel like it is always going to happen. Everybody knows it's going to happen, and it happens anyways. Uh, another little note I have, uh, Isaiah Pacheco, 100%, is the guy. Like, it's not a, you know, a 50-50 split thing. Like, Isaiah Pacheco is RB1 by a lot in Kansas City. And and I say this as somebody who loved Clyde coming out of LSU. Mm-hmm. A, Clyde, for whatever reason, whether it's durability or, you know, anything like that, has not lived up to his draft status. And even hasn't lived up to our great – like, he was one of our favorite players in that whole class. Mm-hmm. He was one of a lot of people's favorite players in that whole class. Everybody loved Clyde at LSU. But then you get to the NFL where draft status doesn't really matter anymore and you got this, you know, 215-pound 4-3 lightning bolt named Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round who, when he gets on the field, you can tell physically there is a difference. Like, the juice is there. The the want to is there. Like, he runs every single, every single time he gets the ball. Like, he runs like it's his last time on the field. Like, he is a violent, physical explosive runner and from a schematic perspective for a lot of the stuff that Kansas City likes to do which is they like to call outside zone from the gun you could hate that approach or not because the angles are all fucky and I'm not a big outside zone fan from that particular track but they like to do it and they like to call counter and and, you know everything they like to do from shotgun which is we're going to do our best to get the running back to the edge or create a big-ass seam on counter, Isaiah Pacheco is perfectly suited for that. And when you combine his explosiveness and physicality with the fact that the Chargers straight up cannot fit the run. Like, there was a couple runs last night on counter where, like, you had Kenneth Murray flying downhill and the edge read it correctly. Like, they ran two pullers at the edge, and the, the edge is supposed to call it wrong shouldering you go inside of it and spill it outside so you can get a two for one with the edge and then the linebacker is supposed to overlap and take care of the running back when he bounces well Kenneth Murray being Kenneth Murray just flew downhill and stuck his head inside the hole and got washed out 
And then all of a sudden you have Derwin like one-on-one on the edge with the dude who runs 4-3 when he's like trying to cover Kelsey. And then he's like, oh shit, I got to I gotta get out there when that was supposed to be Kenneth Murray's job. And so it's like, it's not just the fact that their, their defensive line's getting blown off the ball. It's the fact that their linebackers aren't fitting well. And sometimes I feel like it's like Drew Tranquil versus the world out there. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it goes back to the offseason where we said, please don't let Kazir White go. And then they did. And we were worried this was going to happen. And it's happening. So there, there was a lot to take away from last night. Like, obviously, Kelsey, Mahomes, amazing. Pacheco, he's the dude. But God damn, the Chargers can't fit the run. And it's so hard to watch. When teams can't do that, and this is part of the reason that because your White's new team, Philadelphia, just brought in two defensive linemen off the street this week, mm-hmm. and they played really well. And the Chargers need to do something similar. We talked about their inability. They went out and drafted a guy. There was a lot of talk that they were going to draft the same guy that the Eagles drafted for the mm-hmm. same reason. you got to have somebody in there plug up the middle, eat space, run a gap and a half, two gaps, well, consistently all the time, or teams are going to take it if you give it to them. And it is sort of a lifeblood thing that just sustains drives and lets them move. If you can guarantee that you're going to get five or six on a run, you're going to be in short down and distance and everything else, the playbook just opens up. And the Chargers are not able to get out of their own way there. We thought that was a limitation of Murray's game coming out of college. We both called that, that he was physically a marvel, but in terms of discipline and vision, wasn't great and needed to develop, and he still has those moments where he goes off at 100 miles an hour, but he doesn't take the right angle, and it basically, just as you described it, takes himself out of the play, and you end up with a massive hole that the opposition exploits for a big gain, an easy first down, keeps a drive moving, and keeps your defense on the field, more downs, more reps, more tired, less ability to fit the run. It's sort of a a nasty cycle once it gets going, and the, the Chargers don't seem to be able to get off that hamster wheel, and it's really frustrating. I know it is. I know some Chargers fans, and they moan about this regularly, and rightfully so. Yeah, no, Pacheco led all running backs in rushing yards so far this week. We still got the Monday night game to go as of the time of recording this. But um, I, I ran into a Chargers fan at the tailgate. Uh, by the way, shout out to Thunder Alley. Amazing tailgate scene there. Like, I've never been to a Chargers tailgate before. That was awesome. Uh, but I ran into a Chargers fan there who's a fan of the channel, and we, we chatted for a little bit. And he's like, eh, you know, I, I took the Chargers to cover like five and a half. How do you think this game's going to go? I was like, I mean, maybe they'll cover, but I don't think they're going to win. Uh, this feels like a 20 carry, like 105 yard night from Pacheco because the run defense sucks. And he had 15 carries for 107. So <laughs> I, was, I was close. I was pretty close on that. Uh, all right, let's get to three up number two. Uh, the Commanders, who I'll tell you what, EJ, ever since the news came out a few weeks ago that Dan Snyder was selling, uh, at least allegedly selling, um, kind of feels like the Commanders have taken on new life a little bit almost like a curse was lifted they ripped off a couple good wins in a row uh they beat the eagles obviously uh last week and then they they beat the texans in convincing fashion this week and they have a formula that is working which is we will run the ball a lot we got two backs we like uh you know brian robinson and and, uh, antonio gibson are two different skill sets but they like them both for different reasons um you know we have a defense that can 
stuff the run. We still don't have Chase Young back in terms of helping out the pass rush, but uh, we could stop the run. We can cover people. Uh, we got big playability every now and then from Terry if we need it, or you know, this week it was Logan Thomas or you know Curtis Samuel, whoever. Like they can they pick one guy a week and say that's that's going to be the dude that gets 100 yards receiving. And then you got Taylor Heineke, who is he a great quarterback? No, is he even a good quarterback? Eh, I struggle with that. Will he make the back-breaking, boneheaded mistakes that cost you games like Carson Wentz does? Also, no. I think he is a safer option for them than Carson Wentz. And I think as long as he's on the field for them and not making those backbreaking, uh, you know, mistakes, and he just gives like two good balls to receiver of the week per game, let the run game and the defense do the rest. Like that is a formula that is working for them. They are in the chase for the playoffs right now. And they're in pretty decent position in terms of the chase for the playoffs right now. I kind of feel like I would stick with Heineke, regardless of what's happening with Wentz and his his broken thumb, I think it was. I kind of might stick with Heineke because it's working, and I don't really want to disrupt the apple cart here. Yeah, we talked about Mike Vrabel and his job helming Tennessee to their wins. We need to talk about Ron Rivera through, I would say, much choppier waters, keeping this team level. They're playing their second-string QB in Taylor Heineke and have been for a few weeks. They're down their star pass rusher in Young for basically the whole year. And they're a game out of second place in the most competitive division in football. Mm-hmm. That's they're the, they're the eight seed right now. That's remarkable. Mm-hmm. So the suffocating defensive line you talked about, they are incredibly stout. Damian Pierce, who we love, had eight yards on ten carries. <laughs> like, that's Oof. just absolutely smashing out the cigarette butt of a run game like now nah, you're gonna have to do something else we're not going anywhere um they're splitting that rushing attack fairly evenly between gibson and robinson the the efficiency is not the same but in terms of the number of carries and the the amount of times they use them and when they use them in the game they really are very comfortable with that sort of two-headed back approach and with heineke like you said he his luck holds. Let's just put it that way. He throws up some stuff <laughs> that a lot of other quarterbacks wouldn't get away with, but he does and he celebrates, and he doesn't, for the most part, make those backbreaking mistakes. He has stayed away from it. Has he flirted with them? A hundred percent. Does he do it every week? He sure does. He is not the super safe game manager. He is the, it reminds me a little bit of Gardner Minshew, right? He'll throw it up and see oh, if yeah. his guy can make a play. And for now, it's holding, and this is working in a very difficult, the most difficult division in football. So I'm with you. If you're rolling and the guy you had before that left the lineup due to injury has the occasional lightning bolt to the cover two hole down the sideline, but also can't make the eight yard pass over the middle without throwing a horrendous pick like stay away from that and go with the guy that has a little bit like he's just that guy rolling dice in the alley right now and you're like no don't keep going and taylor heineke's like screw you man i'm absolutely keeping going 
and it's been paying off for them week after week. So I would say ride the hot hand because you don't get that much more with Wentz in terms of overall game, and you might even get less when you talk about addition by subtraction and taking away those really bad plays that for a while were taking the commanders off track. Right now they are a train rolling down the track. They are in good position. If they can keep it up, they've got a shot to be a spoiler into the playoffs. Oh, more than just a spoiler. They can literally, I mean, ruin the playoff picture. So right now they're the eight seed. Like I mentioned, they're six and five. The five seed is the Cowboys at seven and three. They're they're probably going to make it, I would imagine. Uh, the six seed is the Giants, also at seven and three. They're a pretty good position to make it. If you look at the commander's schedule, it's tough, but they got the Falcons this uh this uh 27th that's yeah this coming week is the 27th uh so they got the falcons who are not a a bad team but absolutely able to beat them because i think the commanders are just a further along version of what the falcons want to be and so i think they can win that game and then five of the next six games after that you got the giants twice in back-to-back games because you got giants by week giants then you got the 49ers and you got the Browns, and then you got the Cowboys. So all three teams that are ahead of them in playoff seeding, if they go even two and two in that like last five week stretch, and you you knock off one from the Giants, and you knock off one from the 49ers, or even you know from the Cowboys, whoever, you're going to cause enough damage to make the playoffs there. So survive Atlanta, and then go two and two in that last stretch against everybody else you're competing with. And the Commanders will be in the playoffs. And once they're in the playoffs, man, like we a few years ago, we saw it. that The, the Taylor Heineke-led Commanders, or no, they were the Washington football team at that point, but like they gave Tom Brady everything they could handle before the Bucs won the playoffs. They actually they played them tougher than the Chiefs did in the Super Bowl. So once they're in, they are not a team I would want to play against because that particular formula of play defense, run the ball, and then just hope for, you know, the, the God-given luck of Taylor Heineke. Like, that's the type of stuff that can ruin, you know, every playoff bracket that you've got going. So I think this is a storyline that people need to follow. Watch the Commanders the last six weeks, because if they go even 500 in that stretch, I think they're in. I really think they're in. Uh, all right, three up number three, Bengals-Steelers. This was a fascinating game for a whole bunch of reasons. Number one, uh, you know, you got TJ Watt back for Pittsburgh, which completely changes their defense. You are without Jamar Chase uh, again mm-hmm. for the Bengals, which on paper completely changes their offense. You know, how would those two things kind of compound together? And could the Steelers steal a win here? And it was, you know, kind of back and forth. You had some great throws from Burrow. You had some really nice throws from Pickett. Uh, you had some Ajay Pirine getting i think what a, a, a hat trick I think, yeah right? a hat trick of receiving touchdowns yeah not even rushing receiving fantastic that's just one of those throw the wild card in and see what happens and smudge p ran was the firecracker this week but it was a very very entertaining game and the bengals held on and they held on because they don't just have one number one receiver they have two and we could talk about this game in a vacuum, but I think there is something that we need to to focus on temporarily, which is I don't know if they're going to be able to keep T. Higgins because there's a lot of teams out there right now that would give him $25 million a year. 
And I don't know if the Bengals can afford to give Jamar Chase 30 plus and T, uh, you know, T Higgins 25 plus and Joe Burrow 50 million. Like, I don't know if there's any teams that can afford to do that. Like T Higgins is a legit number one receiver. He absolutely carried them in this game. Nine for, you know, basically a buck 50 and then Samaje getting the touchdowns. But like this, this was a hard divisional game that the Bengals have absolutely no shot of winning without T Higgins being a legitimate number one caliber receiver. And uh, I think, I think since he fans should enjoy him while you got him because God, he's going to be expensive when he's, when he's a free agent. Yeah. He's expensive right now. And he should be, he has grown since he got in the league. He was good when he came in, but he was more of a straight number two boundary threat, jump up and go get it. Kind of a guy when he came in, that is not where he stopped. He has continued his growth. And yesterday was the clear number one. And on a team that was absent, a guy like Jamar Chase, he would be the number one. And easily so. He looked to hold that role down. The Steelers' secondary is good. Not great. Their safeties are very good. Their corners leave something to be desired. But T. Higgins made plays all over the field. And at all levels and on all downs, didn't matter kind of like Kelsey not the same kind of attention but they knew they needed to run their pass game through T Higgins for the most part Boyd was going to be there to support yeah you're going to get some yards to your tight end as well but it was really about as T Higgins goes so Joe Burrow is going to go Mm -hmm. and he delivered in spades nine catches 148 yards some real highlights in there some real go up and get it hands grabs he's He's going to go. I don't think that Cincinnati can throw as much money as they're going to need to throw at him to keep him. And all day yesterday when I was watching this game, all I could think of is, man, that guy'd look good in navy and orange. Right. Yeah. Make him Justin's number one. And, you know, you just brought Claypool in. And I really think Claypool, speaking of the Steelers, would be a great number three in that offense coming out of the slot because he could do some good things there and then run Mooney as the sort of number two like Lockett, and that would be a really good receiving core. And the Bears aren't the only one. Bears have the most money, but there are going to be suitors lined up around the block for T. Higgins, and it is going to be very tough for the Bengals to say, we're going to give you the most money. You you might want to keep playing with Joe, and that's a card in our pocket, but in terms of who's going to give you the most lucrative deal – it's very unlikely to be the Bengals knowing that Jamar Chase's contract is looming. Yeah, it's it's not even a, oh, the Bengals don't want to keep him. They absolutely want to keep him. Oh, 100%. The fans want to keep Higgins, but I, I think it's it's going to be the same thing that happened to Jesse Bates. Like, there's a long valley between what we want and what we can do. And I don't know of any NFL franchise that's putting, like, in terms of guaranteed dollars, God, probably that almost half a billion dollars combined by the time all these contracts are done between burrow and and chase and like they're not going to do that nobody's going to do that so he's gonna they're gonna probably trade him i would imagine for a first round pick because that's what they would get for him and i think that they would they would say okay we'll take this first round pick and we'll try to go get you know another guy that's that's cheaper to be the new quote-unquote number two to jamar but like from a team building standpoint Ain't no way. Ain't no way they're, they're going to try to keep. Like, if they do, that would be such a colossal shift in approach for what Cincinnati's always been. I would be like, okay, who 
who is wearing Mike Brown's skin right now? Because that's not him. It would just be a complete departure of how they build their football team. So again, it's not a not a uh, is T Higgins good question. He's absolutely good. It's oh my god, can we afford this? And I don't know if they can. Uh, on the flip side, I do want to give one little note about Kenny Pickett. Even though they lost the game, I think there were some throws in this game that signaled Steelers got something here. Mm-hmm. And there were there were some questions, you know, leading up to the draft of like, okay, does he have the physical ability? Is he big enough? Is his arm strong enough? Everything like that. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanksgiving week and you're throwing go balls to Pickens at the number one spot when you're going trips to the field, you're throwing far hash go balls to number one, where the corner, like they're in two man and the corner literally or not the corner, the safety literally is not expanding that far because he doesn't believe that you're going to throw that ball. And Pickens says, all right, bet, I'm going to throw that ball. And he drops a fucking seed, a seed, EJ, down the boundary. It's mm-hmm. perfect. It's far as he steps up. He just fucking rips it. And it bounces off Pickens' hands. And I get it. That that would have changed the game. And, and maybe they would have won. Who knows? But just the fact that he made the throw and it was perfect and he put on film that he can do that, I guarantee you defenses are going to play him differently now. Like if they're in two-man, those safeties are going to expand because they're going to be like, oh, my God, he can actually do that. He can do the Mahomes throw. He can do the Herbert throw. Is it the same in terms of velocity? No, but it's getting there and it's accurate and he's willing to do it. That game was scary. That game was scary, and I think I think the Steelers got something here. They didn't win, but I think they got more confidence in their quarterback. For me, that throw was the cherry on top, but the real healthy dessert serving, the sort of main course stuff was game management in terms of not being a game manager. That's always a backhanded compliment when you're talking about quarterbacks. That's not what I'm saying here. His management of game situations as the quarterback was better. It improved, and the way you saw that demonstrated physically a bunch of times was his movement within the pocket. We all knew that Kenny Pickett could scramble, and he had really good mobility. It was actually one of the things when I watched his tape that surprised me. I was like, man, he's not just mobile. He's really mobile. Like He can get out of the pocket in a hurry and pick up yards. It wasn't that. It was the subtle movement to stay within the pocket and then make a play. And he did it a lot yesterday. You could see the growth. You could see the development. You could see that maturation of his process starting to slow down and marry with those physical gifts and using them to stay within the offense, not just kind of run off or run into pressure, but move very quickly away from pressure, reset, and make one of those good throws because he made a bunch of them yesterday. You said at the top of the show the plucky Kenny Pickett, right? He was plucky. He kept the thorn in the side of the Bengals until late in the game. They were in this till, you know, they were onside kicking with not very much time to go. They had a shot at this, and it was because of the way Kenny Pickett played, not in spite of the way Kenny Pickett played, which is the story we're going to talk about with another young quarterback coming up but it was really nice to see the development and I too came away with the same feeling of yeah if they want to roll into next year with Kenny Pickett as their guy the team believes he can make those throws he's starting to make less of those bad decisions that cost them which is the natural process for a rookie going through his first season I'm interested 
in a good way to see what year two looks like for Pickett in Pittsburgh. You get him a new offensive coordinator, not named Matt Canada. You invest more in the offensive line. I already like the receiving core. Um, you know, they got some young guys that we love, like Pickens is a dude. Deontay's great. Um, you know, we'll see what the future holds for for Calvin Austin, but the physical talent there is off the charts as well. Uh, and then you got Pat Fryermuth, who I think is has shown a lot of flashes of being like their new Heath Miller. Um, and so, and then you know, Najee, totally forgot about Najee too, but there's weapons there. So you get a new offensive coordinator uh, and you get a, le- a little bit more investment in the offensive line to kind of stabilize that a little bit and you roll with Pickett. And I think this, this team could, not will, but could put up 28 to 30 points a game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely have the talent to do that. And I think Kenny, Kenny Pickett as a trigger man can do that won't have the same crazy ridiculous face melting highlights all the time but you're going to look up and you're going to see a very accurate quarterback that can make big time throws that doesn't shrink under pressure has good pocket presence it's going to work I really do think it's going to work like everything that he's put on tape this year none of it has been red flags like some other young quarterbacks that we're going to talk about in our next segment, Two Down. All right, EJ, Two Down, number one. Uh, possibly the only thing uh, grosser than shooting absinthe before noon. Uh, this is my third shot of the show, by the way. I'm a man of my word. The only thing worse than this is the Vikings pass protection. And when I first saw the score for this game, 40-3, to I was filming out at SoFi, and I was like, there's no way. Like, how is this even possible? And then I get home, and it's the first game I put on, because I, I this was after the Chiefs game. First game I put on, I was like, I need to see what's what's happening here. And yeah, 40-3 to makes absolute sense. If you can't even let Kirk get to the top of his drop before he's getting obliterated by Micah and Armstrong and Fowler. I mean, everybody. It was an equal opportunity ass-whooping. And even Christian Derrissaw, who left the game after like a, a little over a quarter, he only had 10 pass-blocking snaps before uh, he went out, and he still gave up two sacks in 10 pass-block snaps. And he gave up one to Micah early, which was a forced fumble. And then he gave up, I think it was Dorrance, did like a speed to power into his chest and caved him in and, and got uh, Kirk for the second sack. But like he wasn't the only one, uh, the backup that came in for him. Blake Brandle gave up four pressures and two sacks. Uh, Ed Ingram gave up a sack, which seems like tradition at this point. Um, you know, Brian O'Neill was the only one who who didn't give up a sack, but he still gave up three pressures. Um, you know, Garrett Bradbury gave up five pressures. Like it was, it was bad, and it wasn't just guys getting beat one on one. Like they couldn't handle stunts, they couldn't handle blitzes. Like they their communication was bad. It, it was just horrific and one of the worst offensive line performances I've seen from any team this entire season and I'll tell you what if there's any defensive front that you can't have a poor outing against it's Dallas because they got athletes all over the place and once they smell blood you're dead you know it's like gators swarming and it's uh it was rough it was hard to watch and I I got about three quarters into it after like the seventh sack and I was like there was no quarterback in the league they could have won under those circumstances. Like, it wasn't even Kirk's fault. Not that he nope. played amazing, but what do you want him to do? So yeah. I, th- I think it was a fascinating uh, U-turn from 
last week's Cowboys uh, loss where they gave Micah like 11 snaps as a pass rusher, something outrageous like that. They gave him a shitload more than that this week, and it paid off. He had eight pressures um, and I, I think two sacks himself and that forced fumble. And just this is how the Cowboys are supposed to play. Rush the passer, run the ball with Pollard, let Dak make a couple nice throws a game. And man, they'd be hard to beat with that formula. Yeah, you came out saying what happened because you were busy filming. And I retweeted that and said, look, Micah threw a brick through their windshield on the first drive and they never recovered. Like literally first drive, he gets around Derrissaw, fumble, Cowboys recover. I was at the bar for this one bunch of cowboys fans have started showing up at the bar they are loud and i was like oh something happened oh look at that we're not even two minutes into this game and the vikings pass protection looks just like your face uh no and they never recovered you would hope with a a team with this much talent in terms of the vikings could find their footing they never did and this was the perfect convergence of two teams coming together from very disparate situations last week Cowboys, bad loss, didn't let Micah rush last week. Vikings, really good win over the Bills, coming in, riding high. Cowboys turned the switch back to, you know, Micah to obliterate on the pass rush, and the Vikings come in feeling all great. They get their balloon popped on the first drive, and the Cowboys just curb stomped them from there on out. It was an avalanche that they couldn't stop. And my feeling coming out of this game is that the Vikings, when I went back and look at their record, they really feel like sort of paper tigers in the NFC. I looked at their wins. They beat the Packers early in the year who couldn't get it together. They beat the Lions who always give up a bunch of points, and the Vikings are really good at one thing this year, and that's scoring a bunch of points. The Saints obviously hadn't found their footing. The Bears before the big offensive streak. The Dolphins, okay, I'll give you the Dolphins. Cardinals, same thing. Commanders, mm-mm. And Bills in overtime. So they basically have two quality wins, and they're over the, over the powers in the AFC East. Their losses, the Eagles and the Cowboys. So it really feels like when they come up in the playoffs against any of the power teams from the NFC, they're not going to be able to compete. Because if you can't polish off the Eagles and you, and you get smashed by the Cowboys like this, it's going to be one of those sort of one-and-done things that Vikings fans have come to really hate. Oh, we made the playoffs. Oh, we got mashed by 20. Oh, that's not great. So they can, the Vikings this is, beat any team on any given day with all that talent with Justin Jefferson and Kirk gets hot and Dalvin and, you know, the defense plays average. Hell, they beat the Bills in overtime. I get it. Bills Certainly they needed can, some crazy shit to happen for it to happen, but they I did under, it. <laughs> I understand, but they did do it, and that's a sort of on any given Sunday. But would you bet them against a power team in the NFC right now? And my answer is hell no. I wouldn't put any money against them if you're going up against the Titans of the NFC. So their record looks amazing, and their reality come the playoffs I don't think will be near as amazing. It's just all about matchups to me. And I think, you know, looking at the the Vikings offensive line as a whole, they kind of hung their hat on their two tackles. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, the interior sucks. But, hey, we got O'Neal that can handle one-on-ones. We got Derrissaw that can handle one-on-ones. We think we can just do three-on-two up front. And if they're sending 
Uh, if they're sending a fifth, we'll, we'll keep the running back or the tight end in and something like that. And so, like, as long as our tackles can handle one-on-ones, everybody else can get help and we'll be all right. When they go up against a defensive line with equal edge talent, I would say, like, say, Micah versus Derisaw or, you know, Dorrance converting speed to power. Like, if you're going up against guys that can match talent for talent where the one-on-ones are all of a sudden shakier than they would be against most other teams now your advantage is gone and Kirk is just kind of a sitting duck. He's not really mobile enough to get out of a lot of that kind of stuff. So I think against the Eagles who, when they're healthy, have great defensive line talent, both at the edges and on the interior. Hopefully Jordan Davis comes back soon. Um, And then, you know, Dallas might be one of, if not the most talented defensive front in the league. When you have to go up uh, quote unquote strength versus strength, I don't necessarily think their strength is strong enough to go up against these stronger defensive lines in the NFC. Um, and I, I think, you know, kind of looking ahead to the playoff picture, I mean, God, just looking at the NFC playoffs right now, you got uh, the Eagles are, are still going to be in it. You got the Cowboys are still going to be in it. The 49ers, when they're healthy, they have a hellacious defensive line. I would say the Seahawks defensive line is also playing a lot better. Like this, this could low-key be kind of an issue for them in January especially if you know especially if their tackles are are having an off day like they don't really have any other card to play here so it's it's concerning it's not a death nail like or death knell death, death, nail, nail. Or death nail death, death nail. nail it's not a death knell for them because they're still a very talented team you got Dalvin you got Jefferson you know Kirk is playing better this year they got some really nice defensive line talent like they're still going to be in it I just think that there are matchups that they don't handle well, and Dallas is absolutely one of them. Yeah, we found that out yesterday. No, I I low-key love Death Nail. Death Nail is great. I'm going to use that. Um, <laughs> no, they got smashed, and it's that's it has to be concerning if you're a Vikings fan because you're looking at the Sterling record and you're riding high. You got a new coach. The offense is working like you hoped it would. Defense has been, for the most part, holding on. Powered you two again. A very good record and you got to be looking down the road now or start looking down the road now most people do it's that turn of the calendar right we get to thanksgiving and okay who's for real who's a contender who's a pretender who's going to end up there in the dance at the end who's going to have a chair and are you going to have more than a chair like you need a chair and a chance right are you going to have a chance and it really does depend on who they end up squaring off against and there are definitely teams that should scare the Vikings right now because they've seen a couple of them and they haven't fared well in those two games. But well, one of the teams that should scare them is the next one we're going to talk about, the Jets, because they played them on December 4th, and if the Cowboys' defensive line gave them this much problem, the Jets might actually kill Kirk. I'm, I'm a little bit worried for his safety because the Jets are even better than Dallas is. And, and I, don't, I don't think they got a, a prayer to, to block the Jets if that's the kind of performance they're putting up against Dallas. But the Jets have their own problems themselves which is two down number two zach wilson this one is primary for them and it is a problem we have been withholding judgment and saying hey we saw some good things we saw some bad things we're gonna we're gonna wait and see the end of this season is really when we were gonna pass judgment and say this is what we think the jets should do much like we just said with kenny pickett and the steelers either they have something or they don't and it is really starting to look like the jets don't 
and that is a major issue. So against New England, Zach Wilson, 9 for 22 for 77 yards. Those are not his stats for the half. That's the whole game. No touchdowns for the season. 55.6 completion, 1,279 yards, four TDs, and more interceptions than touchdowns, and a 72.6 rating. Gross. Joe Flacco still leads the Jets in touchdowns with five, <laughs> having played in three games. So that's like the worst stat I've ever seen. Zach Wilson has four in seven games. So the production on the field is one thing, but he is not a rookie. He played a decent amount in his rookie season. Full rookie season? No, but he played a decent amount in his rookie season, enough to get a lot of those rookie struggles out from under his belt, to see a bunch of different defenses, to learn some things and kind of take the rough edges off. His completion percentage as a rookie was 55-6. His completion percentage as a sophomore in the NFL, 55-6. Not great. No. So that's you're not going to earn any wins against anyone playing like that. That's just not enough offense. The Jets' offense for the second half earned 2.7 inches worth of progress per snap. What? The second half offensive production for the Jets yesterday was 2.7 inches per snap. Are is that real? That's a hundred percent real. That I am legitimately stuck. That might be okay. It's real, real bad. <laughs> I think my brain just melted. That yep. might be the worst second half in NFL history. Then it's like legitimately. It's really, really bad. And you could say. A little bit last year, but not so much this year. Oh, well, Zach Wilson, he's getting pressure. He's not. He's been sacked 15 times. Justin Fields has been sacked 40. Ooh. 40. So it's Jesus. not that he's not getting time. That's not the thing. So the performance issue alone on the field, the production that we've talked about, that puts the Jets by itself in a huge quandary. We invested. This is a guy we went and got. The rest of our team is ready. The Jets are not like a lot of other young, improving teams where they still need to surround the quarterback with talent. The quarterback is surrounded with talent, both on the offense and the defense is, as you alluded to at the top, really well-balanced, formidable. This is a roster that's ready to go right now, and they don't have anything powering their offense the windows in the NFL are really small. You can't hold a core that talented together for very long. You've got a couple of years before contracts start aging out. You're going to have to pay people and start sort of replenishing the cupboard. So they don't have time to sort of go, oh, we'll give Zach another. No, you don't. You don't have another year. On top of that, after the game yesterday, he comes out in post-game comments, reporter tees one up for him and says, do you feel like you let the defense down? This is where, as a young quarterback, you got to fall on your sword, swallow your pride, and go, yeah, did you see my performance out there? It was junk. They played great. They've been playing great all year. I screwed it up. Zach Wilson goes 180 degrees the other way and says, no, I don't feel like I let him down. You can't do that as a quarterback. 
I don't care if you think it's true or not. I don't care if you think it's your fault or not. In this case, it is his fault. But regardless of that, (laughs) yeah, like obviously with what we've laid out here, but either way, as the quarterback of a team, you are not just the guy pulling the trigger on offense. You are the leader of that team, presumably. And if you say things like, no, it's not going to go over really well in the locker room. It is going to be divisive. We're already starting to see those cracks show up on social media. Robert Sala called the offense out as bullshit in his post-game conference. Yikes. Like, this is not a stable platform for Zach to be standing on and casting aspersions at other parts of the team. He's the issue, largely, and he stands up there and says no. That combined with his performance is hugely troubling. Like the Jets have a massive problem. They have a wildfire right now and they need to figure out what to do about it because the ancient guy on their roster, Joe Flacco, is outperforming the guy that was supposed to lead this franchise to the promised land. Joe Douglas has done an amazing job gathering personnel. We talked about their draft as one of our top three drafts in the NFL this year. This team is primed. They've ripped off a couple of wins. They've looked like they arrived, and then your quarterback comes out and lays an egg and says, it's not my fault on top of that. This is bad. If I am Robert Sala, I am starting Mike White this week against the Bears. And it's not just the fact that Zach Wilson has played terribly, which he has. Objectively, you can go to the film and see him sailing balls wide open, you know, over the middle to a receiver that's like four yards of separation, and he's throwing it three yards high, and Dev McCourty is so surprised by that, he drops the easiest pick of his life. It's not just the fact that Wilson's been terrible. It's the fact that if if he can be terrible and then go in front of the media and say, it's not my fault, that shows a complete lack of accountability to the point where the locker room will turn on Robert Sala if he doesn't hold Zach Wilson accountable. And he can hold Zach Wilson accountable by sitting him for Mike White. Because even if Wilson doesn't think it's his fault, spoiler alert, it is his fault, even if Wilson doesn't think it's his fault, the rest of the team does. You got Sauce Gardner out here liking tweets that are anti-Zach Wilson. Like The defense knows they did their job, and they know their quarterback didn't. So you cannot allow him to avoid accountability. And if he's not willing to take accountability, you have to force him to take accountability by being on the bench. So start Mike White, give the defense at least some confidence that you have their back, and prevent a complete locker room mutiny. Zach Wilson is not worth losing the locker room. And you have one chance to keep the locker room by playing Mike White. And it's got to happen right now. And that announcement should come today. We're recording this on a Monday. Robert Salas should come out and say, Mike White is our starter next week. Uh, We're going to ride with him throughout the game. Uh, And if people ask him why, he should tell them why. Yeah, He should say, because I need the quarterback of the New York Jets to take accountability for how this team performs on offense. And that should be it. It should be a one-sentence statement. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time see you tomorrow or whenever his next availability is like he should just drop the hammer leave and say we're moving on you know not saying we can't come back i'm not getting into any of that not getting into our draft plans like next week it's mike white it's because i need the quarterback to be accountable bam done out and guess what if he plays mike white 
and they beat the Bears. Week after that, play them against the Vikings. Yeah. Like, I, I, you're, I'm sorry, you're seven and three, and you're trying to stay alive in a very competitive AFC East. You can't afford to throw this away for a guy who's thrown four touchdowns in seven games. Like your defense is playing out of its fucking mind. You cannot waste this for Zach Wilson. Like it's one thing, like the Broncos are wasting their defense on Russell Wilson because they paid him a gazillion dollars and a whole bunch of picks. You didn't invest that much into Zach Wilson. So cut yeah. bait if you need to. It's not that hard to me to make that decision. Yeah, and it's not just the defense. The offense is too. Garrett Wilson came out and said, you know, we need people to be basically accountable in their habits and, you know, have the right behaviors. And it was, it was a pretty veiled statement, but it's pretty obvious where it's pointing at this point. He called out some of the coaches as well. It's not a good situation. You need to stamp this kind of thing out. It is like a wildfire in the building right now. And they need to put it out with a wet blanket right now and move on because this is a good football team. It's a good football team on the roster. It's a good football team on the field. And they have a good shot. They are well positioned to play themselves into playoff contention this year and make some noise. Like they are mm -hmm. a good enough team to do that. And this could bump them off that track. And they don't have that kind of leeway. They need to strike while the iron is hot. And if that means removing Zach Wilson from the equation for either a week or a while, they need to do that. All right, let's get to something a little bit more palatable, literally and figuratively. One fun. One fun for this week. We're going to go into some looks at the division and the balance of powers between the conferences. We're going to look at wins by division. It's about that time in the calendar. The leaves have come down now. The snow's piled up in Buffalo. Who's going to be in playoff contention? Who has a shot? And who doesn't? We've been talking about that throughout the podcast, but I really wanted to take a look uh, by conference and then broken down by division, which are the strongest divisions and which are the weakest? Because we had our predictions in the offseason about how this was going to go, and the reality is starting to take shape now that we're at Thanksgiving. So for the AFC, we're going to go top to bottom. The East, 26 wins. The West, 19 wins. The North, also 19 wins, and the South, 15 wins, which is the mm. lowest in all of football. Yikes. So AFC South, not doing great. AFC East, kicking right along. That's the division we were just talking about with the Jets. 26 wins. Second only to the NFC East. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about all the power is in the East. It's still there. The NFC East, 29 wins, just like we all had it preseason, right? <laughs> Not quite. Most powerful division in football right now is the NFC East with 29 wins. The NFC West has 18. The NFC North has 19. And the NFC South has 17. So I would say parity in the NFC besides the East at 29. That's the juggernaut. Uh, and the AFC East, 26 wins. The West and the North at nine, tied at 19, and then the South bringing up the rear for the entire league at 15. You can see the balance of power still resides in the East. We had said all offseason long that AFC West was going to be the juggernaut. The, 
the big robot killing division that was going to be knocking each other off all season. Yeah, well, not so much. There's Kansas City and the rest of them. Uh, but power in the East is a thing. It's not going away anytime soon. And it kind of muddies up the playoff picture because literally the fourth team in the NFC East has six wins. And there are division leaders like the Cough Cough Buccaneers who have five. The fact that, once again, there's another division that will put a team in the playoffs at under 500 to be the sacrificial lamb. It does seem like this happens with the NFC South more than most divisions, by the way. I think it's happened like three times in the last decade that that division's done this. Um, I, I think that this spread in terms of like hyper-dominant divisions and then ultra-terabad divisions <laughs> is going to put a new spotlight on how we seed things in the playoffs because I mean Tampa will be a draw in the playoffs because of Tom Brady and everything like that but let's say they completely collapsed and the Falcons won the division at like nine and eight or eight and nine even because anything's possible at this point does anybody really want to watch like an eight and nine or nine and eight Falcons team get absolutely obliterated by a two seed Cowboys in the first round. Like, does that seem like appetizing January football to people? I don't know if it does to me. And I think that as long as this keeps happening, especially with a 17 game season and seven seeds in the playoffs, I think that there will be a groundswell of support for maybe let's not reward bad divisions with a playoff spot when every team in them is bad. Like it's one thing for the Titans, like the Titans are seven and three in the AFC South and the AFC South is horrible. Um, but at least the Titans are a good team. And so they will make the playoffs on their own merit. But I think doing away with the whole, like if you win the division, you're automatically in, even if you're a bad football team, I think doing away with that and allowing good teams to just fight it out for seeds regardless of the division they're in. I think that might actually get strong consideration sooner rather than later because it just feels weird to me that right now the Cowboys who obliterated the Vikings that are 8 and 2, the Cowboys are 7 and 3 and the Vikings are a 2 seed and the Cowboys are a 5 seed just because of how things work because the Eagles are 9 and 1. When the Cowboys are if you put them up against the Seahawks right now, they'd probably beat them. Put them up against the Buccaneers right now, they'd probably beat them. And yet both of them are seated higher because of just the nature of how playoffs are structured. And I I get the sense that if we see another NFC South team go to the wood chipper in January for like the third time in the last decade, there will be enough support for people to say, do we really have to do it this way? I think getting in is fine for divisional winners. I think seeding should be purely on record. So hmm. you can let the Bucks in at, you know, nine and eight or eight and nine or the Falcons or whoever else, but they're a wild card team. Right? I, I would agree. I would see that as a nice uh, a nice happy medium. Right. Because so then at least you don't have to have the Cowboys go on the road. Right. You know. And, you know, every division games are still important and playing well within your division and winning your division guarantees you get into the playoffs, but it doesn't guarantee you a comfy seat once you get there. If you barely cracked 500 
happen to win your very poor division with that record, you could still be a wild card because right now, you know, somebody in the NFC East, you know, there's not a team with less than six wins in the NFC East right now. Like the lowest team has six (laughs) wins and the highest team in the NFC South has five. Um, you know, and there are other disparities. The Vikings we talked about, they're an eight win team. They have a four game lead in the NFC North right now because the Packers are faltering or, or faltered so badly uh, at the beginning of the year. They basically could sew it up within a week or two. Like they could be the division winners. And that's fine. They have a great record. They get a division win. They should be a, a top seeded team based again on their record. But if you limp into the playoffs, uh, you're not getting a first round bye for sure. You're you're basically a wild card team. You're going to have to go on the road, and I think that's fine. Yeah, I don't know. There's just it just irks me. I I've never really liked punishing teams for even if they're better than everybody else coming second in a dominant division to another dominant team. I don't know. It just it takes away the spirit of uh, meritocracy in the NFL, which I think the NFL always strives for, which is you earn what you keep, you eat what you kill. This structure kind of goes away from that, so I'd like to see it go away. Uh, all right, last segment, favorite segment, or second to last segment, I should say, but still our favorite segment, bootleg shot of the week. Okay. <laughs> More cork sounds. Uh, I'm just going to keep pulling this cork. That's because it sounds so great. You got uh, This is my last shot of the episode. I have three down, one to go for bootleg shot of the week. And we are yeah. toasting Landon Roberts of yes. Miami Dolphins, right? Yes, indeed. My brain only half works at this point, EJ. I hope you can understand. Yeah, I can I can pick up the slack here. Landon Roberts of the Miami Dolphins hitting Nick Chubb uh, using the term we coined this summer, doing linebackery things to Nick Chubb. And they were they were very linebackery things. Not many linebackers can stand up Nick Chubb, stop his momentum, turn him 90 degrees, and put him on his back. But Landon Roberts, you accomplished the feat, so we're going to do shots of absinthe. I'm not sure how that's connected, but we said we would, so here we go. Here's to you, Landon Roberts. It never gets easier. Oh, Sure doesn't. Ugh, God, okay. I need to hide this we're gonna... in a faraway place. <laughs> We're going to turn oh. this to a more positive bent in just a second. I'm on the literally podcast. tearing up, dude. It's like poison. It's I swear to God. It's rugged. It is not a <sighs> not an easy thing to do. So an easier thing to do is go through our nominees for shot of the week for this week. You want me to lead that one? Bro, I'm like half functional right now. It's all you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no worries. Happy to do it. First one we're going to look into is Micah Parsons leading off. The Cowboys' destruction of the Vikings in the very first drive with a shot for a forced fumble. We talked about that one throughout the game. Really set the tone for this one. The Cowboys end up pretty much curb stomping the Vikings after that. Second one we've got is Jordan Whitehead laying the wood. Jordan Whitehead was one of my favorite free agent additions this offseason. Thought that he was going to perform really well in that defense. Uh, This is visual evidence of him doing exactly that. Our third one is Matt Milano of the Bills getting a big sack in the game versus the Browns. Matt Milano just sort of adding to his, at this point, all underrated team cred 
with a big play and a big game on the road that the Bills really needed to win. And I say on the road because it was in Detroit, not Buffalo, thanks to the uh, 77 inches of snow at Orchard Park the last time I heard. And a special holiday inclusion. This one is a security guard at a college game absolutely cleaning house on a fan that decided it was a good idea to run down the sidelines. I'd bet that security guard probably played college football by the look of the angle he took and the absolute destruction he laid out on the hit. Uh, We figured we'd have something a little bit fun for Thanksgiving, so we tossed this one in. And speaking of fun things for Thanksgiving... We're going to make a $200 donation to Northwest Harvest this holiday season. They help put food on families' tables all over the Northwest. Uh, You, too, can chip in if you want to do something a little more productive than buying us shots of absinthe um, this holiday. We'll put a link in the description to Northwest Harvest. Um, Certainly give if you can. Great cause. I've been up there packaging food before. Great organization. Really necessary this time of year. So we'd love your support there uh, because we can handle shots of absinthe, but we don't want to take that many. And we'd rather see that money put towards good use, putting food on families' tables. I can't feel my mouth. I'm starting to lose (laughs) feeling in mine, but I said I was going to do two. And as I am a man of my word, I will do my second one to start off the watch list. So why don't you just sit there and recover? Uh, I, I, I can do it. I'm good. Okay, I'm good. I went to college, EJ. (laughs) I'm a trooper. Oh, so did I, but I didn't do this in college. So here's number two for all you sickos on the Thursday night live stream. When I went to college, we had old Four Loco, okay? Old Four Loco was weaponized. This is nothing. I mean, it's something, well, but it's not that. This is, <laughs> I was going to say, this is not nothing. It's something, but I'm going to stack the second one right on top of the first one because I don't want to give my system any time to react. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll, I'll, do wa- I'll try to get through watch list here. Uh, Bills-Lions Thanksgiving. Intriguing game. Lions are on a roll. Bills had a little bit of a slide, but uh, bounced back against a uh, equally beleaguered Browns team. The Josh Allen elbow injury continues to be a storyline. We're not 100% sure how much it's affecting him right now, but if you look at some of the what should have been easy throws last week that he was not hitting, it was uh, it was very evident that the UCL is at least hampering him a little bit. Um, not to mention, I think the Lions' defense has really stepped up over the last three weeks. They fired Aubrey Pleasant on Halloween, who was their DB coach, and they promoted their safeties coach to be their new DB coach, and they've only allowed 19 points per game over that stretch, which isn't, like, amazing, but it's definitely not historically awful like they were on pace to be before. So you combine a clearly not 100% Josh Allen with a not even resurgent, but just not totally ass Lions defense, and I think we have the makings for a very interesting Thanksgiving game there. We got Bengals-Titans. Also uh, this week, and Bengals-Titans, I think, should be a playoff preview. I would imagine both of these teams are going to be in January. And depending on how the seeding goes, we might actually see them play against each other in January, which would be a rematch of last year's playoff matchup, which was a nail-biter to the very end. And it took a crazy, crazy play from Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow to send them to the Super Bowl from that one. So... Uh, very, very good matchup between two teams. Uh, obviously, both of them are semi-banged up, but they're uh, 
They're still incredibly talented and still incredibly dangerous. You got Ravens-Jags, which theoretically should be a Ravens win, but I can't I can't really figure out Baltimore this year. They're very up and down, very inconsistent. One week they look like they could compete with like the top dogs in the conference. The next week they are hanging on for dear life against Carolina. So it's it's tough for me to figure them out. Hopefully they walk in uh, to this game against Jacksonville and take care of business and, and prove that, you know, they can keep pace in the north and you know, kind of keep doing what they're doing. Very, very hard team to figure out. One of the hardest to figure out, I would say, in the entire AFC because you never really know what you're going to get from them. And then our oddly fascinated (laughs) game of the week, Saints 49ers. 49ers are a team that is much more talented than their record would suggest, but they are also extraordinarily hurt this year. I think they've actually been hurt since I was in training camp in August. Like when I was there, like literally their top three corners were already banged up and we were in the middle of preseason. So this team has never been healthy throughout the year and they're still well positioned for a playoff run. Um, Will they be able to catch Seattle and take over the division and host a playoff game? We'll see, but winning this one would go a long way towards helping them do that. If they lose this one, I don't know if they'll be able to catch Seattle It'll be much tougher for them to do. But either way, very intriguing matchups on both sides of the ball. And uh, the 49ers, theoretically, in the back half of the year, could maybe go on a little bit of run if they get healthier. CEJ, I'm functional-ish. It's highly impressive. Uh, Not for loco impressive, but still highly impressive. So short week this week since... Hopefully, everyone will be enjoying Thanksgiving. We are not doing a stream on Thursday, as we said last week, that we would not be. We'll be returning to the regular, your regularly scheduled program on Thursday Night Football for bootleg next week. Uh, but we will be back. We'll be back early next week with a fresh <laughs> podcast. A couple more minutes. We just got to get through it. <laughs> gotta go. Gotta go. Gotta then we can go. go like eat bagels and popcorn and everything else to soak up the evil maybe take a nap because that is those are not easy shots to do i'm not sure why you uh why you ever took the first one during the draft live stream but it's it's caused a nasty ripple effect that we're gonna have to turn around we need to put out there in the universe that really what people should pay for is like shots of buffalo trace because i could get behind that oh yeah Uh, oh no i have to do eagle rare this week oh whatever will i do whatever will i do uh, what do you got coming on? Are you doing a Bears over Bears this week? We're going to try and squeeze in one. Um, we may not. Again, uh, my other podcast partner, JB, is also traveling for the holidays. Uh, even though he just got back from the West Coast, he's going to go see family. So I think we're going to be out on that one. But if we can squeeze one in, we'll do it. Everybody's going to be enjoying food, family, fun, football on Thursday. So content will be a little bit down for the last half of the week. But again, we'll be back bright and squirrely next week with another recap episode uh i have a film room coming out on Tua, uh shooting for wednesday morning <laughs> shooting for we're trying to be nice to our editors too we want them to be able to enjoy food family fun and if they like football because we give them plenty of football exposure they might want to break from that we should thank our executive producers and move ourselves along yes uh, marat consti caden andrew taylor and liam all six of you guys uh, we cannot thank you enough. Uh, everything you've done for the show has been amazing. Everything you've done for the live streams has been amazing. 
We love all of you. Everybody, if you're still here after however long this episode's been, uh, we appreciate you. Uh, again, no live stream this Thursday, but we'll we'll have another podcast coming out next Wednesday or so to recap all of the Thanksgiving week games. And uh, until then, have a happy holidays, and we'll see you soon. Take care.